loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket counts. He gets it over to the doctor. Tie ball game. Here's a shot, Julius. He scores! He scores! Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes down, and the game is tied! Here is Durant moving on Tucker. He turns, he shoots. Yes! Knicks, Nets, and all things across the association. This is Pick and Pod on WFUV Sports. Welcome, welcome, welcome <laughs> back to Pick and Pod, WFUV's podcast for all things NBA, Knicks, Nets, around the league. I am Chris Persiain, and here alongside Julia Moss and Riley Lucas. Pretty much right after the conclusion of our Thanksgiving break as students. So, you know, a much much needed break for me personally. I don't know about you guys. Me so, too. Yeah, I needed to get home for a little bit, see my dog, see my parents, make some irresponsible shopping decisions. <laughs> like, it, it needed to go down, you know? But we're back at school. We're back talking NBA here on Pick and Pod, the place to talk NBA I'm going to get right to the action here because we've had a sports-packed day. USA World Cup going on. Now we're talking a little bit of hoops. And I've got two Nets experts in the room with me. So That's right. We've got to go straight down southeast to Brooklyn. I mean, listen, it's not too far away, but it's a, it's a, like two boroughs away. So, you know, we, I'll say go down as mm-hmm. opposed to like down the street or whatever. But, I, I mean, i got to just start off asking you, and, and I'll start with Julia because – you are one of the Nets beat reporters here at WFUV. I've got a very simple question, but I think it's got a very complicated answer. How are the Nets doing? <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, uh, that is a very simple yet complicated question. Uh, I mean, look at their look at their record. They're 11 and 11. They're finally back to to 500, which is where you know, I've been saying that that's all they need to get to to really turn this around and after starting out so so poorly. They finally have, you know, the Kyrie situation is kind of behind a little bit. Um, yeah, it's taken eh. shape as being somewhat back to n- normal. For for the Nets, <laughs> from the perspective of the Nets, this is probably as normal as it gets when you have a roster like this. But, um, yeah, I mean, they come off a huge win against the, the Magic. I was going to say, they're having a little bit more fun than last year, it seems yeah. like. And that's important in a locker room. I think so, for sure. And as far as, like, how they're doing they're doing pretty well i mean they beat the the blazers they beat the the magic and looking at their schedule going forward it's not like crazy crazy uh it's not a tough stretch when you look at you know the wizards the raptors so the loose the celtics hornets they might they probably win hawks pacers and then the wizards and raptors again you know in, in a month's time i could see this team being well above 500 and you know critics out there have said the nets are done and i think they're just getting started. Well, I get you can see it, but would you bet on it? Are are, are you confident <laughs> in the team? Because I could see a lot of teams being above yeah. 500. Are you confident in that? Do you, are, do you believe in this foundation based on not the whole season? I'm, I'm just going to say what they've shown recently, which is more positive than negative, to be honest. I think a good word you used is foundation, and I think that's kind of what makes my decision kind of on the no side. Like, I'm not super confident because their foundation is based off no defense, and that's kind of hard to, to be super confident in when you have a team that simply can't guard and the only time they win is when they're scoring like when they're just simply outscoring it's not a matter of huge defensive stops it's just they're offensively playing really good so they'll offensively score more points than the other team so Mm -hmm. as far as 
am I super confident? I could see this team doing well. I, I picked my I picked my words very very carefully yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. I could see this team being well above 500. I don't think it's time to smash the panic button. But, Agreed. But they're gonna have to play defense if they want to compete. Yeah, Riley, I'm gonna go to you here. Um, as you guys have both seen, it's taken some Herculean performances from Kevin Durant recently <laughs> yes. to kind of get the Nets across that finish line. He kind of has to look like a superhero. And it's kind of sad, honestly. I mean, I want to say I'm happy that they're on a two-game win streak, but they beat the Magic. I mean, how happy can we be about that? We should not be celebrating that small win against the Magic. I mean, KD himself had, what, like 45 points? Was that even the Nets playing the Magic, or is that just KD playing the Magic at that point? Uh, the d- definite need for a stronger bench... I mean, that's something that needs to be highlighted. And defensively, I'm just really disappointed in the Nets this season. I see them improving. And like Julia said, the Kyrie stuff is behind us, the whole coaching situation. So I think it's only up from here. But I think there's some definite trades that would be beneficial or just some changes to the Nets in general. Yeah, uh, Julia and I talked a lot about this a couple weeks back um, with Colin Lochran about like how the Nets might be able to benefit from, from some in-season trades, just looking to... I don't know, fortify the base of this team a bit, raise their floor a little bit. You know, before the season, I identified issues for the Nets in the form of their rebounding on both ends, offensive and defensive, their ability to stop the opposing offenses kind of first action, you know, that point of attack defense, Mm -hmm. and also their interior defense and their rebounding. They don't really have a strong interior presence. Nick Claxton has mildly grown into that role but Mm -hmm. they had someone like Jared Allen on the roster who has been an all-star in that role you know so Mm -hmm. what kind of players do you think the Nets could use because I gotta say two years almost to the day after Kevin Durant said he didn't have enough help with Kyrie Irving on the Nets he said we don't have enough help Karis Jared Allen these guys are good Mm -hmm. they're not enough two years later Kyrie said we don't have uh, 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 Kyrie said, you know, Utah Watanabe is the best shooter in the world. Yeah. Roscoe's um, arguably worse than the first time. <laughs> so so KD said this year he doesn't have enough help. Kyrie said two years ago they don't have enough help. KD agreed. Like the consensus has been this team isn't good enough. But KD and Kyrie seem to be the ones making the moves behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Now, all of a sudden, Kyrie's future with the Nets is in question, and Yuta Watanabe is the best shooter in the world. I just, <laughs> what do you make of this, Riley? And, and Julia, if you've got something to add after her, please go ahead. I mean, I definitely think the Nets, like, size is an issue. Uh, a trade for another big man would be incredible. The take on Yuta, I don't know how I felt about that because currently, obviously, like, statistically, he's doing amazing. But the term best is where I kind of think, hmm, best shooter in the world, is that really a good take? I believe if he were to say maybe the most consistent shooter currently. Or like a top. Yeah, a top. (laughs) But I mean, how can you say that with Steph Curry in the league? I think part of me, I always take whatever Kyrie says with a grain of salt because I feel like he's always trying to shade. I think Seth Curry is a better shooter than Yuta I'm not even talking Steph. I think Seth is a better shooter than Yuta. So this was just interesting to me. Sometimes, like I said, I always take what he says with a grain of salt because I do feel like he always has some shade to all of his comments. Like he always just wants to be controversial or shady. So I always just think like, does he actually mean this? I mean, uh, Yuta's shooting 57.1% from three-point territory, which is fantastic, really good. But at the end of the day, most of those threes are catch-and-shoot threes. He doesn't have the range like Curry does, or either Curry, honestly. 
So I wouldn't really say that Yuta is the best shooter in the world right now. As Kyrie said, I disagree with him there. Um, Cam Thomas, I def think, is an issue for me as well because I, in the beginning, I was one of those people like, play Cam Thomas, play Cam Thomas, you know, hashtag free CT if you're not going to play him. And then, you know, he started off doing well and he's just disappointed me, really. Like, I just think we could do better than Cam Thomas. He has great skill, but his court awareness just lacks tremendously. I don't know if it's because he wants to be traded, but he just gives up so many corner threes and messes up almost all defensive rotations. So I would like to see Cam Thomas go. I would like to see a couple of people on the team go. I mean, Julia, how do you feel about this? Yeah, there's a lot to work with there. Um, first, about the Yuta Watanabe stuff. I don't think anyone who's actually saying it really means that uh, Yuta's the best shooter in the world. Yeah, it's definitely a hyperbole. <laughs> you never no, know with that man, though. There's no, I'm, there is absolutely no chance Kyrie Irving actually believes Yuta is a better. <laughs> I don't think he believes he's the best shooter on the team because he's not. Like, I think he believes a lot of things he says. That's fair. Um, I, yeah, Yuta's not the best shooter in the world, and just saying all those, those words coming together in a sentence is like laughable. <laughs> like, yeah, like, like come on, guys. Funny. It's but about he's been the, good. He's been good. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. He's taken incredible strides forward, but you know that base where he was was like not even a role player like when he played for the Grizzlies he mm-hmm. was cycling in and out of the G League so yeah Yuta's good he's a good role player by no means the best shooter in the world and I didn't even know that was like a a suggestion until just now <laughs> so I think that's hilarious um but as far as pieces that the Nets need um I got I disagree a little bit about Cam Thomas I think honestly this is this is definitely more of a hot take but I think if you know, if this Kyrie Irving situation settles more, you know, a little more time is separated from the incident, incident I would definitely look at getting Kyrie up and out of here and, and playing Cam Thomas more. I think you get a lot of the same kind of qualities that you see in Kyrie and Cam Thomas. Um, I mean, he performed pretty well when Kyrie wasn't playing. And they just need defensive players. They, I mean, they need that so bad. If they want to be any kind of playoff threat whatsoever or to even make the playoffs honestly is getting to that point where your defense and your rebounding is just so overtly terrible yep I would I would honestly take a lesser like I would take a trade that most NBA fans would look at on paper and be like what mm-hmm. in order to get a decent rebounder or a decent defender I would I would give up a good offensive player at this point that's not named Kevin Durant to get <laughs> a couple good defensive and rebounders because you can't play basketball with like mm-hmm. that's a huge defensive and rebounding makes up like half of what you we are good at in basketball and the nets suck at both so bad like they're <laughs> like especially rebounding it's, it's yeah it's ridiculous so let me ask a question here all right let's say at the trade deadline the los angeles clippers if, if you're sean marks julia okay. the los angeles clippers call you up and I'm just trying to roughly make the money work in my head. I'm doing mm-hmm. the trade machine. But, you know, <laughs> yep. but let's say they say to you, hey, you need wings, you need a center. Take Ivica Zubac, who just had a 30-29 game against the Pacers. Take Robert Covington and take Nick Batum. I'm already taking this trade. Like, Those three guys for Kyrie Irving, no picks involved. The Clippers take a shot at adding a star point guard to their wing core of Kawhi and PG. What do you think? I say yes. I'm resounding yes, but I know I'm in the I'm in the lesser like that's an unpopular opinion. I just like I just don't think you get a lot with Kyrie Irving as crazy as that sounds. You get a lot of good 
He might be. You're not trying to downplay him as a player more than you are saying that he his might be fit a little within redundant the, with yeah. Kevin Durant. I and agree. His fit within the Nets is like not worth. First of all, what happens off the court, and second of all, what happens on the court. I mean, he, he's not some huge defensive like presence in the paint. Obviously, he's a point guard. Um, and again, I think you can get a lot with Cam Thomas uh, in the absence of Kyrie Irving. And yeah, heck yeah, I, I take that trade a hundred percent of the time. Yeah, I mean, I agree because I think a lot of people fail to remember too is the Nets without Kyrie were five and three, and with Kyrie they've been six and eight. And I mean, that doesn't speak too much. Kyrie's supposed to be way better than that. I mean, everyone expects Kyrie; he's this big name, and they just expect him to take the Nets somewhere they're not right now. And I think. I kind of like the way they played better without him. I think a lot of players did better. I think Cam Thomas showed out more. I think Royce O'Neal. I think the team as a whole just got a lot got along better on the court. So I've always been a huge Kyrie fan. Like I was so happy when he originally came to the Nets. So after seeing him away from the team, though, I had a new outlook on that. And I wouldn't mind getting him out of here. Yeah, that's a very fair point, and it's an interesting one. On the topic of point guards, I want to switch to a crosstown discussion about the New York Knickerbockers. They acquired a point guard this offseason by the name of Jalen Brunson, who the Dallas Mavericks, who we'll talk about in a bit, look like they miss a lot right now. Um, But Jalen Brunson, I mean, his last three games, 30 points, five rebounds, nine assists. All right, that's a a pretty good stat line it's a great night for him but is it consistent well the game before that 32 points five rebounds four assists okay uh that's two hot games you know what what does he really do the game before that 34 points nine assists again and he had a steal so even though he's you know of a more diminutive stature at that point guard spot he still was a bulldog defensively as i like to call him game before that 27 points three rebounds three assists He's playing really well, and the Knicks are losing games. In that four-game stretch with those spectacular stats that I just outlined, and and listen, if those four games were the only four games of the season, you would be thinking, oh, this guy's a top-ten point guard. Uh, They're not the only four games of the season, but Jalen Brunson's certainly on one heck of a hot stretch, and the Knicks are 1-3 in over that stretch. What gives with this New York team? How do they have a point guard playing so well for them for the first time in decades, and they're still losing games. Do you guys think it's an issue with the rest of the team? Mm -hmm. Do you guys think it's an issue with the coaching? What's going on with the Knicks? Julia, I'll start with you. I mean, you have to think. Someone's got to score the points. Like You're going to get 100 points in an NBA game 9 times out of 10. Or, you know, honestly, in today's NBA, like 9.9 times out of 10. Um, Right. I think it's a good four games. It's always good to have a lot of points as a player because that's kind of like how a lot a lot of times you judge your worth but I'm not impressed to see Jalen Brunson go off like this if they're not going to win these games I mean and they're not even like super close either they lost 95 to 116 you know the Trailblazers game and the Grizzlies game were both pretty close but oh, tra- uh, Blazers went to overtime yeah uh, and then the Blazers kind of ran away with it mm-hmm. um, but it was very close at the end Brunson and let's talk about this too Brunson at the end of that Blazers game had a really good look for a game-winning shot Smoked it. Then, in overtime, had a really good look for a game-winning shot. Smoked it. The game before, Brunson created a really good look for a game-winning shot. Smoked it. Yeah. So he's playing like a star, and he's still not winning-winning these games. Like, 
seriously like what's going on i just don't think he's that good like plain and simple i i don't <laughs> controversial here chris I, is gonna cry i just don't think he's i mean yeah he scored a lot of points the last four games but also what are we at 21 games in like it's not consistent yeah, about, enough. about a fourth of the season yeah it's it's not consistent enough for me to like raise an eyebrow like i mean a lot of players can go on tears like this and actually win games i don't think this is first of all sustainable i don't think it's sustainable um, if it is, I don't think Jalen Brunson is going to like be a team leader for the Knicks. I think it also has to do with coaching. I'm like the biggest Tom Thibodeau hater in the world. His rotations make no sense. He has a young team and he shouldn't be the coach of a young team. That's, that's just, I've said that a hundred times at this point. So is it good that Jalen Brunson scoring points? Sure. Like, yay, Jalen Brunson scoring a lot of points, but this team is not going to, I don't even think this team's going to make the playoffs. So Take that with what you will. I don't think Jalen Brunson is a team leader. They really emptied the bag out for him, and this is what you got. Well, I think it's the assists that matter more than the points. He's Mm -hmm. averaging a career-high 6.7 a game. It's clear that when he was in Dallas playing more off the ball off of Luka Doncic and then steadying that bench unit when the starters were staggered, it was not as easy for him to run the stats up here in New York. He's the starting guard. He's doing exactly what it takes to run the offense. 22 points a game, three and a half rebounds a game, almost seven assists per game. He's doing this all on just about 50% shooting from the floor. So Mm -hmm. if you factor in that his defense has been all right, I'm not saying it's been good. I'm not saying it's been great. I'm not saying it's been bad. It's been okay. Uh, I think he's been a very good player for the Knicks this season. I think the issue for the Knicks personally and, you know, as someone who, um, has watched them the two games that I've been the Knicks beat reporter this season. Let's talk about the first one, Knicks versus Hawks. Knicks had a 23-point lead in front of their home court. They lost that game by double digits. Second game, Knicks versus Trailblazers. Knicks had a 14-point lead in the second quarter in front of their home court. The game went to overtime, and the Knicks lost. They have blown leads over and over and over again. And I have to say, despite the fact that in those games, Jalen Brunson did miss a fair amount of potential game-winning shots, I'm not going to fault him one bit for the Mm -hmm. losses. As someone who has supported R.J. Barrett since he was drafted by the New York Knicks as being a good draft pick, his play has been abysmal this season. Sucks. Absolutely awful. And and Mm -hmm. what frustrates me about R.J. Barrett's play is the fact that we've seen him defend at a high level on the perimeter. Now, that's very valuable in the NBA. This season, he's getting beat back door a lot. It looks like a different player out there. We've seen R.J. Barrett, both at Duke and in the NBA, experience both moments of great passing and of tunnel vision. This year, you're seeing a lot more of the tunnel vision. So you know Barrett is capable of much more than he's been displaying. You know factually that Barrett has shown to be a very promising young player Last season, when Julius Randle struggled in the number one role, Barrett took it over and succeeded in it at the age of 21. That's impressive to me because of the large market and the the great pressure he plays with at that young age to take on that role. But how do you follow that up with such a subpar season? Now, I had this question. So did several other Knicks reporters. After the Knicks game against the Trailblazers, head coach Tom Thibodeau was asked directly about R.J. Barrett's shooting struggles And whether he would want Barrett to take more shots or fewer shots, he instantly, and I got to say, like, almost not snarkily, but very confidently, Thibodeau said, no, I don't want Barrett taking fewer shots. He needs to take the exact same amount of shots he's been taking. He's doing a good job staying involved in the offense. What he's messing up on is taking too many shots that put the onus on the referees to call a foul. Mm -hmm. Uh, And... 
a reporter, of course, you know, the New York media is not going to miss a beat, pun intended. And (laughs) they asked him right away, hey, are you accusing Barrett of foul hunting? Are you saying Barrett's a shot hunter or a foul hunter? Thibodeau said, no, no, and no. I just think that he gets to the rim well, and once he gets there, he takes shots that force the refs to call a foul. And if they don't, they're probably not going to go in because he just took it trying to get a foul. So he needs to watch the film more, Tim said. But he also said that he like he knows Barrett is better than this, pretty much. He also made a comment about Barrett. Kind of, He implied he needs to get in the gym more and put, mm-hmm. in, put up more shots, get him more work. So with this Knicks team, if you say that Brunson's been playing well, which he has indubitably, mm-hmm. and, and you're kind of wondering what the problem is, well, I think you could look to R.J. Barrett as someone who takes a lot of shots who isn't doing great with them. I think you could look to Julius Randle as someone who is inconsistent on the defensive Very end. Very inconsistent. Um, but other than that, you know, the only players that stick out to me as being like certainly performing under expectations are Derrick Rose and Isaiah Hartenstein. And mm-hmm. those are two bench players. They shouldn't have that great of an impact on how this team is doing, which makes me think personally Barrett is having more of a negative impact than a lot of people are talking about. Riley, I'm going to go to you here. Combining the Brunson and Barrett talk a little bit, the Knicks have a lot of lefties in this starting lineup. What's going on with them? I mean, I don't think Jalen Brunson is a problem whatsoever. I think he's actually carrying the Knicks on their back. I think um, we talked about this earlier that I think he's even a potential contender for the All-Star game. I'm very impressed by Jalen Brunson. Um, My issue is obviously RJ. He does not hold his end of the bargain. Julius Randle is inconsistent. And another big thing that the Knicks are lacking is they just aren't getting key stops. I mean, a big one was John Morant. Like, just that Grizzlies game, he would go to the basket and then Knicks would block. Then they would allow Jaw to go back in there and yeah, score ja, again. Yeah, Jaw got his own offensive rebound, and the Knicks are one of the five worst offensive rebounding teams in the league. It, and it that's terrible. Up. And I mean, at the end of the day, the lack of rebounding, it's the same with the Nets. That's a, a big issue between the two teams. And over the last five games, um, the Knicks are averaging 43.9 rebounds per game. And they, at one point in the beginning of the season, were a top 10 rebounding team. And now they have dropped to number 11 in the league, which is really disappointing. Um, Defensively, I think both teams are just slacking. And really what it is for me is that they uh, they both don't know how to finish. I mean, they both don't know how to close a game. You'll see them doing good, and then that fourth quarter hits, and then everything goes wrong. And that's, you know, it must be a New York thing because I I see that with both teams. But I don't think Jalen Brunson, I think he's doing incredible carrying them on his back. Um, Like you said, it's not only just the points. He's doing great with assists. What was it, 6.7 assists? Yep. I mean, rebounding, he does great, 3.6 rebounds. Um, For a six-foot-tall guard, (laughs) I'll take I mean, it's impressive. And at the end of the day, I think he's a top-five guard in the East. Would you agree with that? I mean, I, sh- I assume mm. you would. Let me let me run the numbers quick on this one. Oh you got to go Trey. <laughs> you got to go Trey Young. Has got to be up there. Okay. Um. See, I don't I don't know if I'd have James Harden up there personally. Well, he's hurt, is so Jimmy, it's like is Jimmy Butler. He's a wing, right? A wing, not a guard. Mm-hmm. Y- yeah, I think I don't even consider James Harden. He's I think hurt. Trey and Kyrie, and and I mean Bradley Beal. Beal, um, Brunson. But, I don't know. See, he's not doing quite as well, but his team's doing better, and I think the that's Wizards a big have been factor. Good this year, Beal is usually a stats first, winning later guy. Yeah, and this year the Wizards have been winning. Kristaps Porzingis, former Nick, mm-hmm. actually looking really good. A lot of people talking about 
the Mavericks, you know, they need to get Luca help, and everyone's like, they had help. Mm-hmm. Brunson and Porzingis were on the roster at the same time, and mm-hmm. now they're both hooping for other teams. Um, I, I think Brunson has been a top 14 to 13 guard this season, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, I, I don't know if that qualifies him for top five in the East when there's guys like even... I, I, DeJounte Murray is not someone I have as being better than Brunson this season, mm-hmm. but someone like Murray who brings a high defensive floor, like mm-hmm. at least puts himself in the conversation. And the know? fact so him and Trey are on the same it's team. It's a good that's, question. Well, we'll talk about them right later. There. They've been a little underwhelming. Yeah, these last um, two games, wow. But, you know, again, we're talking point guards here. Um, so we're talking Knicks point guards here, rather. A former Knicks point guard was just signed this week are you even waiting for this one? <laughs> and it's uh, somehow the biggest news this week um, because no other, you know, nothing else has happened. Signings, trades, whatever else. Kemba Walker going to the Dallas Mavericks. Now, we talk a lot about Luka Doncic being maybe the second best point guard in the NBA behind Steph Curry. Um, the Mavericks clearly, for years, have wanted another playmaker. Even when they had Brunson on the team, they wanted another playmaker. Now, they lost Brunson for nothing to the Knicks. They add Walker. He's a four-time All-Star in his career, but he was just on the Knicks and was removed from the rotation due to Tom Thibodeau not thinking he could keep up. And as Julia has noted, Tom Thibodeau, Tom, no, but Tom Thibodeau likes his veterans, mm-hmm. and that's what Julia has made very clear because we know this. And even though Kemba Walker is a veteran, Thibodeau benched him because he didn't think he was doing enough. Julia... If a veteran can't make it in Tom Thibodeau's rotation, what do you think about the Mavericks adding him to their team? Do you care that the Dallas Mavericks have added Kemba Walker? No. Like, (laughs) (laughs) no. That's great. I'm rooting for Kemba. I want to make that clear. I think Bronx, Bronx built. Yeah, he had a bad shake of it in the Knicks or in New York. I don't think, I don't think anything Thibodeau does really is like, a good representation of how a player is actually playing. Like, was Kemba great for the Knicks? No. He was awful. He was bad. He was really terrible. But he was also playing, like, I have absolutely zero, like, bar on the floor respect for Tom Thibodeau. So, I mean, I hope he has some crazy career resurgence. I don't think that this really moves the needle in any way, shape, or form for the Mavericks. I think it's, if I'm Dallas, you know, this signing makes sense because you're kind of, you're not doing great. You just lost four straight. You're looking for an upgrade in, in some way, and I think Kemba's as far as free agents out there right now, Kemba's probably the best to roll the dice with because he has that chance to make a career resurgence. I think he's had great moments. I mean, he's been good. He was good with uh, the Hornets. So you never know. You never know. I don't think I could see this going either way. I mean, probably he's going to play like, what, like 10 minutes a game and 14, 14 average three points and two rebounds like but I think just the the chance that this goes in another way and you see Kemba start balling out again I think that risk is worth signing him for especially because I haven't looked at the this the actual numbers behind the signing but I can't imagine it's more than like a veteran's minimum so you know it's a it's a low risk high potential reward so I'm I'm all about the signing but I don't care (laughs) like I don't think this is gonna tilt I don't think this is gonna right the ship for the Mavericks. I think that's going to come with Luka playing better. I mean, I kind of agree. I don't really care much about Kemba Walker. Um, I think it's obviously going to be an asset to the team. I don't think it's going to hurt the team, but I don't think it's going to help tremendously. You know, adding another guard would be good. Um, I don't see 
anything too crazy coming out of it. I mean, he's in his 30s. He's been injured quite often. I I mean, if it works for them, it works for them. Um, I'm glad to see that he's on the team now, but I don't really have like a too high a hopes for what's to come. Yeah, Walker did not impress me at all in the Knicks roster. My number one indicator, um, and Julia, maybe you could speak to this as someone who just watched Mike Conley kind of age a bit on your team. My number one, and again, not an insult, just naturally yeah, happened a lot bad. of time, right? Uh, my number one indicator for when a, a point guard, especially a smaller guard, is kind of, you know, quote unquote, uh, struggling with their age is when a lot of their pull-up jumpers come up short and when they yeah. go up around the rim they don't seem to have that lift that they usually did with their legs now these small guards their legs are really important to them because mm-hmm. if they're gonna go up against a seven foot tall Rudy Gobert or Mitchell Robinson or Jared Allen these guys need to get up right these floaters need to get up there and when you see guys like Derrick Rose this season Kemba Walker last season uh, their jump shots come up consistently short when they're pulling up in the mid-range, it's mm-hmm. like they were just expecting to have that juice that they just don't have anymore. You see the shots fall short mm-hmm. off the front iron, creates opportunities for centers like Mitchell Robinson to feast on the offensive glass, but that's not optimal. You don't you don't want your point guard missing shots, right? So mm-hmm. for the Dallas Mavericks, a team that, uh, listen, they rushed themselves into contention when they traded two first-round picks for Kristaps Porzingis. I think... They needed to feel out a little bit more what kind of teammates Luca would be most successful with. They thought they could steal Porzingis and did so at the time. It was perceived as a steal. It didn't work out at all because Porzingis had been hurt. They bet on his recovery. He didn't recover as fast as they needed. Once he had recovered, the team wasn't as good as they wanted. Mm-hmm. And so I think he requested to, for, to have a trade because he wasn't happy there. And just nothing was going well. They got a new coach. Still traded him. Uh, it was such a mess. This Dallas team needs a lot of help, and I don't think that a 32-year-old Kemba Walker is Agreed. the form that that help is going to come in here. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, not to circle back into this topic, but you made me think of it when you said shooters who have been coming up short. And again, not to take it back to the Nets, but what are your thoughts on Joe Harris this season? Because that's, Done. Yeah, that's who's really been irking me. And I didn't mention that earlier, and I was like, that's a good. It. That's a good example. And, and you know, we're going to stay on the topic of shooters here, but on this one, I think Harris has looked a little slow defensively. When he moves laterally, I'm mm-hmm. not talking northeast. I'm talking north-south. I'm talking <laughs> west-east. When he goes side-to-side trying to defend on the perimeter, I think he does look a little slow. Julia, you've been there a lot in person. You could say better, but not super super impressed on the topic of shooters though and on the topic of point guards i've got another team out west one last team out west that i want to pivot to here to use a basketball term we were talking the knicks and jalen brunson we switched to a different point guard the mavericks and luka Doncic. let's talk about another point guard this time a shooter the warriors and stephen curry just before the thanksgiving break I was here on Pick and Pod, Julia, as you know, as someone who is part of the show, uh, we talked about the Golden State Warriors, and with their move of James Wiseman down to the Santa Cruz Warriors, down to the G League, where he has frankly been awful, um, I'm I'm pretty sure that his center matchup the other night in the G League put up career highs in both points, (laughs) rebounds, oh, not both, in all three of points, rebounds, and assists, so... 
James Wiseman's not been doing good in the G League either. Maybe it's a tough adjustment for him. Maybe he's not dealing with it well mentally. I don't want to speculate, but I'm just not trying to completely pile on him. Just I said the Warriors would be better with addition by subtraction. In removing James Wiseman from the team, they would get better because he has been such a negative. Even in their blowout wins, he's a clear negative to the team. Without him... Articles are getting written, getting written by national media about how this Warriors team is the beast that we knew them to be, how this Warriors team is the contender that they were last year. It's just a couple weeks after that move, but my gosh, it's such a shift in tone. Um, Riley, I'll start with you here this time. Are these Golden State Warriors on track to make another NBA Finals, or, or do you want to see a little bit more from them after this roster change before we start making such declarations. You know, I hate to answer this question because I feel like every time I give my opinion on the Warriors, I'll say, oh, they're not going to do it this year. They're done. Last year was their season, yada, yada, yada. They always do the complete opposite and prove me completely wrong and do incredible. So deep in my heart, I want to say they're not the same Warriors they used to be. Uh, I want to say they're just on a good win streak right now or they're just, you know, playing consistently lately. But I have like a fear to say that because I know they're probably going to embarrass me and somehow make it to the finals, surprise everyone, they win again. So I, I don't want to say anything. I mean, I, I'll never bet against Steph Curry again. I made that mistake plenty of times. Um, you know, this team, they always just know how to pull it together and they all work very well with each other, which I think is really important. I mean, Jordan Poole and Draymond Green obviously had some problems, but at the end of the day, they they know how to work well with each other um, in comparison to a lot of other teams. They just really talk to each other on the court. And again, they have all those shooters. And I don't want to make a comment. I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared they're going to embarrass me. Julia, what do you think? Is this just a hot streak or are the Warriors on track to make a playoff run? I mean, the, come on, it's the Warriors. They're going to make the playoffs. They're going to make a run, you know, regardless of how they play in the next few games, which... Looking at their schedule, I mean, they play the Rockets, the Bulls, the Pacers. I mean, they're going to win these games. They're going to make the playoffs. They're going to probably go to the championship. Like, I never really bought much into their their rough start. But to to pivot a little back to the James Wiseman thing, I think you make a good point um, in a sense of, like, the fit just isn't there. I don't think James Wiseman is a bad player. I watched him his whole, like, two and a half games in college. I did attend the University of Memphis at the time, so I got to watch those games in person. And I, not to go too far off, but I remember, like, after the first game at Memphis, you know, where he, like, put up just, like, he he just, like, was, like, a man amongst boys. Like, I just remember everyone being like, you know what, I think he's going to be all right. Like, as a joke in the, you know, there was going to be a run into the championship for Memphis and then the whole suspension thing happened and then COVID happened. So, you know, it wasn't going to happen. It wasn't in the cards anyway, but I don't think this is the right place for him. I don't, I didn't think it in the draft. I thought it was an awkward fit. I think, I mean, the Warriors did need a post, but you know, drafting a guy who played two college games and had, you know, who needed more of a cushion, I think to, to transition to the NBA. And then of course he got injured I just don't think this has been the right place for him. He hasn't been given the grace I think that is deserved with a player who had so many, you know, issues, un- undeserved issues, might I. If you're a college. project of a prospect yeah. and you go to a contender, yeah. there's going to be no patience for you. Now, exactly. the fact that Wiseman was a project, again, not sitting here trying to self 
But going two overall. <laughs> I'm not trying to horn yeah. toot, but like I had Wiseman ranked 14th oh, in here that we draft go. class. Yeah. I thought that he was a lottery prospect that would be a decent player down the line that was not worth the top 10 pick. Definitely not worth the top five pick. Definitely not worth the top three pick. The number two pick <laughs> on James. I had Desmond Bain ranked higher than James Wiseman. That aged very well. I had. Um, love that guy. Lo- love Desmond. You, you I don't know, believe like, it. I'm gonna need some receipts there. Yeah, Paul. let's see got the proof. You, I, got you I, on know, my phone I know. After oh. the episode. <laughs> I know. I have my I whole board. Got He's got down. so excited to whip um, it out. I love it. Um, so you know, with with me, th- I, I was really wrong on Halliburton that year, but everyone else, I, I did all right. Um, Wiseman, I just I thought he was a long term type of player. Even on Yeka Akungwu a center for the Atlanta Hawks, I think would have been a better fit for them thus far. Yeah, uh, It seems like addition by subtraction, and this is not supposed to be any type of referendum or indictment on the future basketball career of James Wiseman. But as of right now, he is not helping the Golden State Warriors by being on the court. He's helping <laughs> them by staying off it. And that's just what the numbers say. It's just a but fact. Do you think, like, this is a good question for you, Chris, I think. Do you think, like, what... Where do you mark his trade value? I mean, he's not performing well, but at the end of the day, he's still young with like raw talent. I think if you're a team like the San Antonio Spurs, yeah. who are kind of primed to be losing games this year and kind of want to be losing games, mm-hmm. you should be all over Wiseman. If you could offer the Warriors a veteran like Keldon Johnson, who's helping you win a, a little, you know, a few too many games. But if you're the Warriors, are you taking that? Like, I think you have to add in a pick. Keldon Johnson would. They would take if they could trade Wiseman for Keldon Johnson without adding in a pick. They would have done it yesterday. The Warriors okay. would have to add a pick to Wiseman gotcha. to get Johnson. Keldon Johnson, frankly, is playing like not an All Star, but just that tier underneath. You know, yeah. Tobias Harris a lot of years in his prime, uh, Julius Randle back with the Pelicans, just guys that are not All Stars for sure, but are playing right under that threshold. The Warriors would love to have Johnson. If you could work out a trade where a team like the Spurs, who have a good shooting coach and who can take a long-term bet on someone like Wiseman in exchange for a win-now player. Yeah, I didn't realize how young he was. That could age well for both sides. Yeah. But talk about young. Wiseman's very young. So oh, yeah. a, a team like San Antonio, uh, I mean, you want What was look his at, draft class? Um, 2019. 20, oh, yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very recently. Like, so, Keldon was 2019. James Wiseman Wiseman was 2020. Oh, wow. Um, so uh, Wiseman was the same draft as LaMelo and Edwards, all these guys that were just drafted. So, mm-hmm. you know, you ask me, uh, there could be a trade in the cards for the Warriors. I don't think they should look to move either Kuminga or Moody, their young wings, but I do think that they are real. They're for real and that this is not just a hot streak. We're talking about trades. We're going to keep the topic on trades for our final segment here on Pick and Pod. We've got three teams we absolutely need to discuss. The first one, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Mm -hmm. The second one has to be the Atlanta Hawks. And the third and final one will be the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, to start with the Minnesota Timberwolves and to explain what these three teams have in common, they all traded for a player this offseason that has made an all-star team before. Mm -hmm. These teams all gave up several unprotected draft picks to acquire a stud. Now, how was this age for them, right? Let's talk about it. So we're going to start out west in Minnesota where mm-hmm. the Timberwolves acquired Rudy Gobert. They made a similar bet that the, Minis- the, the Milwaukee Bucks did. The Timberwolves made a similar bet that the Bucks did. The Bucks had Giannis. The Bucks had Chris Middleton. They said, we think Giannis is going to be so good next year that if we give everything up to get Drew Holiday, we'll be a contender. They were right. Now, the Timberwolves made the same bet. They said, we think Ann Edwards is going to be so good next year. Mm -hmm. We think Kat's going to be so good next year that if we get Rudy Gobert, 
will be a contender. The Timberwolves stink. The Timberwolves stink. They gave up a lot for that trade, Five first-round picks. A lot. Malik Beasley. Let's talk about it. What's going on with the Minnesota Timberwolves? Julia, the Memphis Grizzlies (laughs) played the Timberwolves infamously in the playoffs last year. Uh, You know a little better what's going on out west. What's happening with these Minnesota Timberwolves? They were a significantly, like, miles ahead better team in that playoff series than I think they are now. And I knew, like... I'm sure I was on a pick. I was on pick and pod right after that this trade happened. And I said then, I said, this is going to look really awkward. And for this to work, they're going to have to work through that initial, like, clunky, awkward, like, paint presence you're going to have. Having Kat and uh, Rudy Gobert playing together. And it, and neither of them are, like, I, I knew it then. Rudy Gobert is not worth five first-round picks. <laughs> like, that's that's not what you do as that's a front office. That's mortgaging your entire future. For Rudy <laughs> Gobert. Like, I don't... And then to have already have Carl Anthony Towns, who's a post player, I don't, it just shows, like, in modern NBA, too, like, I was a little excited because I was like, oh, if they're good, you know, this might be a resurgence of post players. And, and you know, someone who's a, as someone who's a Grizzlies fan grew up in the grit and grind era. Yeah, Zebo, I love that. I love post players, and I hate the direction the NBA is going and mm-hmm. that everyone has to shoot threes and that there's no... There's no like stock put in a good post player, so I was a little excited about this, if it worked. But it's not working. It looks it looks weird. It looks awkward, gawky. It it doesn't work. So I, I obviously this trade was not good for the Timberwolves. They're ten and eleven, and they look they're a bad ten and eleven team too. Like Anthony Edwards is good. I think he is going to lead this team, but I don't. They're definitely not the contenders. Five first round picks says i thought they'd be top three or four in the west i didn't they're not even close not even i mean they're i, I thought i listen i thought the trade wouldn't look that bad this season i thought going forward in the it future would look it would really be terrible. bad it looks bad right now it looks so bad right Off now rip, it looks that, horrible I, and listen carl anthony towns had the signature nba injury that's just mm-hmm. a nightmare to see a player is running something pops in their leg. oh god i don't even want to think about they it right look now. behind them because they think that someone kicked them in the back of the leg. Mm-hmm. Mm. Nobody's there. Stop, stop. <laughs> Kevin Durant in the finals against the Toronto Raptors, he looked back thinking someone kicked him oh, in the back of God. the leg. Nobody was there. He had popped his Achilles. Carl Anthony Towns, undergoing MRIs, I believe, today, f- fell over, mm-hmm. looked back as if he was kicked in the back of the leg. Nobody was there. Not and he fell time. over because he couldn't put weight on his leg. I hate, I'm not trying to be gruesome. I'm just being honest about what this injury might be, which is a potential Achilles tear. Now, even if it's a partial tear or a slight injury, Towns is sure to miss several weeks. So someone of that stature, Mm -hmm. someone of that size going down that hard because they can't put weight on their legs, something happened with that leg. So Mm -hmm. if Cat is hurt, he misses a lot of time. They're going to be even worse. What does the Timberwolves know. team do going forward? Do they look <laughs> to trade worse. Towns this offseason? Do they say, Gobert's been good this year. Edwards is our young star. Do they move off of Cat? Do they try to get a team like the Knicks so. or maybe a team like the Nets to move for Carl Anthony Towns? What could happen here? I'm going to say something crazy. I think they might be better without Carl Anthony Towns. Like, this, they honestly might be better like without him. I mean, you you open up the, the post a little bit, not having two huge guys who want points who are expecting points who all want to be the leader of this team i mean putting i don't know who their backup center is but or forward rather but you know it won't be carl anthony towns it won't be another player who's trying to you know get those points get you know get those stats that you know they're obviously good enough to get but i think they could benefit from this 
I don't know if they will. 10 and 11 is, you know, a pretty low bar to improve from. But I saw a video yesterday of, like, just this god-awful, like, play call between Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns. And I remember watching that video, like, geez, like, this looks weird. This looks bad. And I think Carl Anthony Towns, you know, maybe being removed from it. Obviously, I, I don't hope that this is an Achilles tear because that's, like, really hard to come back from as a basketball player. But I think this reset, possibly from Cat, I think they could be either at the same level or better. I think they're going to be worse. I don't think they'll do it either way. I mean, potentially, if they did get rid of them, they could be better in the future. But I don't see them going through with it. I don't see them getting rid of um, Cat. You think they stay invested in this core? It's going to be interesting. They put a large bet on this core um, they kind of have to. I mean, they gave up a lot. And mm-hmm. speaking of betting, Way to what much. you were saying, Julia, I've seen a lot of uh, sharps, you know, Vegas sharps, talk about how they actually love the Timberwolves to cover games now that Towns is out because mm-hmm. he's been the detriment this season. Uh, again, not trying to pile on a player after they're injured, but this is just analysis that others have given. Yeah. But it's going to be interesting to see how they perform with him out. Uh, I hope he's back soon. Listen, he's a New Jersey Hooper. He and I are both Dominican. I've rooted for Cat his entire career. Um, but the thing is, will this Timberwolves team be better without him? It mm-hmm. remains to be seen. Speaking of being better without someone, the Atlanta Hawks going. are another team that made a big trade this offseason. A good one. They traded. I think it was a good one. The, I know it's controversial. The numbers don't. Yeah, they I traded think it was three first-round picks for DeJounte Murray. <laughs> I think it's And good they're one. currently, do you know how many points better they are? With him off the court than on the court? I think I think right now, but I think what's to come in the future, I think it's a good trade. When That's DeJounte, my most controversial take. But when I DeJounte think Murray's on the court, the Atlanta Hawks are getting outscored by opposing teams by about seven and a half points. When DeJounte Murray's off the court, the Atlanta Hawks are outscoring opposing teams by about seven and a half points. That means the Atlanta Hawks are 15 points better when DeJounte Murray is on the bench rather than on the court. Now, to invest three unprotected first-round picks into a player that you believe is of an all-star caliber is something, right? But let's look at the other end of this deal. Why did the San Antonio Spurs, a team desperately in need of talent, give up on a 25-year-old player of an all-star caliber about to enter his prime? Was it because they knew that he comes with more detriments than benefits. What do you guys think about this DeJounte Murray trade for Atlanta, how it's aging thus far, which is indubitably poorly? Do you think it gets better I as think Riley it's seems better. to? I do. Why and, and what's going on? Julia, well, do you want to talk about this Atlanta team? Yeah, I think, you know, as far as your question of, like, why did they do it, I think uh, I'm pretty sure DeJounte Murray said himself that, like, and also if you look at the Spurs organization as a whole right now, like, DeJounte Murray is entering his prime. Um Mm-hmm. But you can't really enter your prime on the Spurs right now, like as a run a rebuilding team. And I think he said that. I think he said, you know, at the end of the day, I love San Antonio, but I just need to be on a contending team. Obviously, that's not panning out the way he thought it would at this point. But to answer your question on like, why did they do it? I think the Spurs are looking to rebuild. But then I think about it and it's like, if you're rebuilding, yeah. I feel like the yeah. Spurs yeah. are always a, looking a young rebuild. player. Wouldn't yeah. you want? So DeJounte yeah. Murray's on a 464 deal, four years, 64 million. Yeah. Many have argued this past offseason that that's the best deal in the NBA value wise yeah. that's not on a rookie contract. Mm-hmm. Why, as a rebuilding team, would you trade that kind of deal? That's Why true. would you do yeah. it? Because know. you know from your experience firsthand with the player that he's not as good as people think, and that the better value comes not from him on the court, but what you could acquire from another team 
willing to bet on him. The Spurs made that choice. Give him time. Give him it's time. It's looking good. But I mean, giving him time is, is one thing. But I think, you know, he's he was put in a position to make an immediate impact. And I think when you're like, all right, let's give him more time, I think that's a slippery slope. I um, think Jalen Brunson went to a team with much less organization than the yeah. Atlanta Hawks and has made his mark and made much more of an impact thus far in well, the there's season no denying that, than Murray has. So what does it take for Murray? To, it, it took Murray playing a New York Knicks team with Trey Young out of the game for him to record a career high in three points made and, and for him to have 39 points that night and to beat the Knicks in a comeback effort because Trey Young was out of the game and he was able to dominate the ball. Mm-hmm. But that's not why they traded for him. They traded for him to play off the ball with Trey Young, and when they're doing that together, it doesn't look great. Riley, what's the fix? I think he just needs to really figure out what role he needs to play for this team. I mean, I always say this about Kyrie, the problems I've had with Kyrie in the past, completely separate, but I think that as a player, he's always struggled with knowing his role on a team. When he was with the Celtics, he wanted to be that guy. He wanted to be that guy. And I think DeJounte Murray just needs to understand that Trey Young is the star guard on the team. And there's just other reasons, like you said, that we need DeJounte Murray to do well on the Hawks. I think with a little time and when he gets used to this team and kind of what is needed out of him. And, you know, I think he has that a little bit of that ego where he wants to just try to ball out and stuff like that. But that is... Trey Young's position on this team and I just think once like a season goes by and he really gets used to playing with them as opposed to how it was like at the Spurs I mean it's a totally different situation here than what he was doing at the Spurs I mean to play with Trey Young who is arguably the best point guard you know currently in the east I just think that it's just a matter of time I mean he still is averaging 20 points a game. I mean, rebounds, he's got like six rebounds a game. Right, but here's my thing. Even with the counting stats, his calling card is supposed to be defense. And yep. by the numbers, this is not an opinion of No, me. that's where he's by lacking. By the numbers, he, the team is much better with him off the court than mm-hmm. on it. So if his counting stats look good, is, de- is his defense that mm-hmm. bad? But that's Are what his he needs stats to work on. empty calories? What's going on? I just think he's focused too much on trying to be a standout offensive player. And then once he gets into that flow of things and realizes that's not what they need him for on this team, more and cutting. that's where he's hurting the team more so than helping. But I just think that's going to come with time. I think the switch from the Spurs to the Hawks was a big change. And I just hope that he you know, impresses me in these next couple seasons. I mean, I hope that by next season I look at him and I think – like, I was right. I mean, I don't want him to disappoint me, but I just think this will come with time. Yeah. I think it was a good trade in the end of the day. Julie, any final notes on this one? I don't think it was a good trade. <laughs> not look at the early returns. It's controversial. It's controversial. But here's the thing. When you make a trade, when you give up first-round picks for a win-now player, mm-hmm. aren't the early returns like that's super all That's important? all you can base your, your stock on, especially uh, if, if you give up picks. If it's a win-now move, then you've got to win, win now. now, right? <laughs> that's so, true. You know, you look at a team like Cleveland, which is the last team we're going to talk about here in our little trade Now, roundabout. that was an amazing trade. Made a trade for Donovan Mitchell, outbid the Knickerbockers of New York to acquire the all-star guard Donovan Mitchell and they're winning games to start the season. They have other players in Darius Garland and Evan Mobley and Jared Allen and who look like they're, you know, star caliber players or have potential to be star caliber players. Mobley has not been fantastic to start the year, but we know he was a high draft pick. He played great last year. Maybe a little bit of adjustment going on for him with Mitchell on the team. He's young. You give him some time to figure it out. He's about five years younger than someone like DeJounte Murray. Uh, Donovan Mitchell going to the Cleveland Cavaliers, 
He looks like a stud there. Mm-hmm. He puts up 28, 30, 35 points in a game at a given time when they need it. Or he gives them a bunch of assists, too. And when you have Garland on the team, you've got two playmaking and scoring guards in Garland and Mitchell. And you have the big presences down low of the likes of Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. Kind of feels like me, feels like to me, to the start of a playoff formula. What do you guys think about this Cleveland Cavaliers team? How has the Donovan Mitchell trade aged for them? I've been dying to talk about this with you because I want to hear how you feel because he almost was a Nick. He Remember was. that rumor? Donovan Mitchell has How spoken. does this make you feel? He do you said, wish it happened? Mitchell has said openly he believed he was going to be a Nick. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I was told regarding the negotiations between the Knicks and the Jazz, every time they were close to coming to an agreement, the Jazz asked for just just something else. Do you just, wish things were different? I mean, do you wish it happened? I wasn't a big fan of targeting Mitchell knowing what the Jazz were going to ask for him. Mm-hmm. They actually asked for more than I expected they were going to, so I definitely am glad the Knicks didn't pay that price. However, I do think that it's indicative of some struggles the Knicks may face going forward when Mm -hmm. trading for stars because when they were trying to trade for Donovan Mitchell, they had a price agreed to roughly. They would talk about engaging on a deal with that price, and then the Jazz would be like, well, what if you gave an extra first-round pick? The Knicks were like, no. And the Jazz were like, all right, well, we're going to talk to other people then. So and then the Knicks were like, all right, what about this deal? The Jazz were like, oh, that sounds good. All right, let's mm-hmm. get talking about it. They talk about it. And the Jazz were like, okay, this is all good. Just throw in R.J. Barrett. Just, <laughs> just sprinkle. Just Slips sprink, that one in sprink, at the him, end. Just sprinkle him in there. You know, so it, it, from what I was told. I mean, but would that have been bad? From, what I, from what I was told, it feels as if the Jazz may never have been negotiating in good faith with the Knicks, knowing mm-hmm. the Knicks pressure to acquire a star caliber player trying to take advantage of it and just getting them to give up whatever it it took the Knicks didn't bite whether that's going to be a good or bad thing remains to be seen but I think thus far the Knicks core has shown that it wouldn't have been that much better with a player of Mitchell's caliber especially Mm -hmm. with Brunson also in the front court you had a very diminutive front court size wise Mm -hmm. I think that the Knicks should be glad they still have their future first round picks the other teams' future first-round picks, all of their cap flexibility, all of their young players, guys like Quickly, Toppin, uh, Grimes, uh, they have to follow up on this by getting another star. If they don't get another star, obviously Mitchell is better than no star. Mm-hmm. But if they get a different star and they're able to be in a better position after that trade than they would have been after, you know, you know than, than before, okay. But right now, I think it would have put them in a worse position. A team that did not get put in a worse position by the trade were the Cleveland Cavaliers. That's because, as Julia knows well with her Memphis Grizzlies, when you have homegrown talent, you can afford to be a little more aggressive when it comes to your drafting strategy, your trading strategy. I would expect the Grizzlies sometime soon, maybe look at trading someone like Jaron Jackson Jr. Or, no. I would think <laughs> that sometime in the future, the team looks into pairing a real legitimate superstar with John Morant. Uh, wouldn't it make sense? So, But I don't know if you... I mean, this is a whole other thing. Of course. Dylan Brooks and Desmond Bain and Picks. Something may go down where the, the Grizzlies have to give Desmond up... I think Desmond Bain and Picks straight yeah, up can the, give you... Yeah, the Grizzlies may have to give up a fan favorite, is my point. And yeah. the way they're going to be able Not to Jared do Miller. that... The way they're going to be able to do that <laughs> is by having the stock of young talent. Now, the Knicks yeah. 
didn't really have that just yet. They didn't have proof of concept. As Julia has pointed out, these young guys have not played a lot of minutes under Tom mm -hmm. Thibodeau. So they didn't really know how this was going to go. The Cavs did. They've got a great core. They added to it. I loved this trade for them. Obviously, we need to see how it plays out in the playoffs. But out of these three trades that we discussed, not only is this my favorite of the three, mm -hmm. but it's the only of the three that I think was actually beneficial to the team that made it. Now, the Minnesota Timberwolves clearly experiencing more detriments than benefits from the mm -hmm. Rudy Gobert trade. The Atlanta Hawks currently better. Controversial. Currently better <laughs> on the court when DeJounte Murray's off the court. Mm -hmm. The Cleveland Cavaliers have an all-star in Donovan Mitchell. I think this was the best acquisition of the three by far. A hundred percent. There's no denying that. I think anyone who would say different is just crazy. The Donovan Mitchell was a hundred percent the best trade. Yeah, I mean the bar's on the floor though. I mean Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like just the fact that Donovan Mitchell I mean, Donovan Mitchell I think could be playing half as good as he's playing and it would still have been the best trade. Mm -hmm. Um but to go back to your point a little bit, Chris, about the Knicks and Donovan Mitchell. If I'm New York, like it's been like ten plus years since you've had a super, like an actual superstar. How good would they be with Mitchell on the roster? Right I don't now? think it. I mean, honestly, like on not the court very. play. But the thing is, is they're not very good now. And I think <laughs> right. Point, so if you're gonna be not very good, you might as well do it without spending your whole right, without mortgaging you, your whole future. The Chicago. But Bulls, could they have been better? The Chicago Bulls just traded two first round picks and Wendell Carter Jr. to get Nikola Vucevic. They traded a first and a second round pick and Thaddeus Young for the opportunity to pay Demar Derozan thirty mm -hmm. million dollars. You're a year. right, but and they paid Lonzo Ball. <laughs> $80 million, that's yeah. going all in to be mediocre. I'd rather be the Knicks and be mediocre without trying, quote-unquote, oh. and have your picks. <laughs> but uh, I agree with you. I agree with you 99% of the extent. time. No, I, I don't agree with you at 0% right now. But 99% of the time, 99% <laughs> of the time, if there was any other team, I would agree with that point 100%. Right now, the, the point is kind of lost and diluted when you think about the fact that, like, yeah, if you... If you're going to be mediocre, you might as well be mediocre with young players and, and building up. But you can't do that with Tom Thibodeau as your coach. Mm -hmm. so, well, that's a different conversation. Exactly. But I'm saying, like, the point still is affected yeah. by Thibodeau being the head coach. And I don't think that, honestly, I would rather be – I would rather get rid of the the – the kind of monkey on your shoulder of like the Knicks can't get a superstar and have Donovan Mitchell and have that same record. I think that's better for your culture, for the Knicks, for attendance, you know, for, for just I a agree general, completely. you know, every other situation. I think if you have any other head coach, yeah, take the, the lack of like actual like talent across the board to develop young players and of course, that's like the blueprint you always want as a, as a rebuild team. But you have Thibodeau as your head coach who can't make a rotation to save his life. That makes sense. So if not, to, I didn't mean to derail this too far into <laughs> into uh, Donovan Mitchell Knicks talk. But if I'm the Knicks in this current front office and this current head coaching, I'd rather have Donovan Mitchell. Um, mm -hmm. But as far as what he's done for the Cavaliers, it's incredible. I mean, I don't think this. Obviously, the Cavs like did this with the hopes of being a you know a, a playoff contender, a championship contender. But I didn't expect it to happen this fast. Um, mm -hmm. So good for them, and they they definitely had the best trade of the off season. Yeah, I mean, I'll always root for the Nets first, but I always go for the Cavs second. So just to see that they got the better end in this, as of now, I'm happy to see it. Well, listen, we'll see how the trade ages for them. We'll see how the trade ages for Atlanta. For Minnesota, we'll see how the seasons go for the Warriors, the Mavericks, the Knicks, and Nets, all the teams we talked about here today on Pick and Pod. 
We're going to see how these Eastern and Western Conference standings shake out, how the MVP race shakes out. We've got a lot to talk about going forward on Pick and Pod, but for now, it's looking like it's time to wrap this one up. So as we are here in the studio saying goodbye to this episode of Pick and Pod, I'll remind you guys, I'm Chris Persianen. I was here alongside Julia Moss and Riley Lucas. We had Brian Rabax and Jack Warner behind the boards helping us out on the producing end. Pick and Pod is a production of WFUV Sports, whose sports director is Bobby Chafferdini. Stay tuned to future episodes of Pick and Pod for all things Knicks, Nets, and around the association.